Welcome to the Paralegal Voice, where you hear the latest issues and trends in the world of paralegals and legal assistance by two of the best-known paralegals in the industry, Vicki Voison and Linda Venny. Each of them paralegals for over 20 years and both dedicated to helping legal professionals reach their goals. You're listening to the Legal Talk Network. Hi, welcome to the Paralegal Voice. Thank you for joining us for our monthly podcast here on the Legal Talk Network. I'm Lynn DeVenny, a North Carolina State Bar Certified Paralegal employed by Elliot Pishko Morgan in Winston-Salem. I co-authored Workers' Compensation Practice for Paralegals with my boss, Griff Morgan, and I blog for and about the paralegal profession at Practical Paralegalism. Thanks, Lynn. I'm Vicki Voison, a NAWA Advanced Certified Paralegal calling in from Charlevoix, Michigan, where I work as a paralegal at Running Wise and Ford. I call myself the Paralegal Mentor, and I publish a bi-weekly e-zine, Strategies for Paralegals Seeking Excellence, that's available at paralegalmentor.com. And I just got the latest issue of Vicki's e-zine today. It was amazing and informative, so please feel free. Uh, I recommend that you sign up for that free resource. It's excellent. The goal of the Paralegal Voice is to discuss a wide range of topics important to the paralegal industry and share with you our thoughts about leading trends, significant developments, and resources that we think you'll find helpful in your careers and everyday jobs. We'll also have guests on the program to help us explore timely topics, and of course, we have sponsors. Today we welcome our sponsor, Terrace, that's spelled T-E-R-I-S. Terrace offers a full suite of litigation support services. I'm pretty excited about today's topic. With advances in technology, we know many of you have wondered if you can work virtually from anywhere. I know I've thought about it. Today, we have two experts in the field of virtual legal practice who will share their insights into what it takes to work as a virtual paralegal or legal assistant. We're pleased to have Stephanie Kimbrough as one of our guests today. Stephanie is a North Carolina attorney who has practiced law from her web-based virtual law office, Kimbrough Legal Services for the past three and a half years, and she's also the co-founder of Virtual Law Office Technology, where she works with other attorneys practicing law online. She won the 2009 ABA Keene Award for Excellence in E-Lawyering, and she's relied on virtual paralegals in her practice. Welcome, Stephanie. Thank you. Glad to be here. Um, we're very pleased to have Denise Annunziata as a guest. Denise has 23 years of experience working in law firms and in in-house legal departments. Denise is a senior corporate paralegal and has been a paralegal manager with extensive experience in all areas of business law, general corporate and various transactions, including M&A. She is the founder of Virtual Paralegal Services, which serves sole practitioners and small firms nationwide, and Leap Law, which is an online legal knowledge base for business practitioners. Thanks, Lynn. Thanks for inviting me to join you today. We're very excited to have you both. Stephanie, um, could you tell us a little bit about your law practice, uh, why you started working virtually, and maybe about the length of time that you've worked with virtual paralegals? Okay. Um, I opened my virtual law office about three and a half years ago, um, primarily so that I could have a better work-life balance. Uh, I had a young child and really wanted the flexibility of being able to work from home and care for my family. And um, I needed to retain a virtual paralegal about about after the first year of my solo practice. 
and um, then I've sort of worked with them on and off since then. Stephanie, could you tell us about the tasks you delegate to virtual paralegals who work with you? Um, primarily uh, transcription, transcribing minutes or conversations from meetings or calls that I've had, um, ad- administrative tasks that will help me manage my client and case queues that are on my virtual law office. Uh, Denise, let's talk a little bit about how you became a virtual legal assistant. Sure. Um, well, Virtual Paralegal Services was actually created by Marketplace Demand, I have to admit. Um, in 2000, I quit working in a law firm to develop Leap Law, which um, can be found at www.leaplaw.com because with my Boston accent, I never quite say that as clearly. Um, in the process of trying to sell subscriptions to Leap Law, I met with several attorneys who simply said, you know, how about instead of using Leap Law, I just call you and you can do the work for me. So basically, Virtual Paralegal Services was born back in 2005 because lawyers were telling me that's that's what they needed. That's interesting. Um, could you tell our listeners a little bit about the kinds of tasks that you perform for attorneys? Sure. Well, as any experienced paralegal knows, lawyers use their paralegals differently. So for some lawyers, I act like a fourth or fifth year associate drafting agreements from scratch and incorporating deal-specific provisions. While for others, I'm much more an entry-level paralegal used to form entities, obtain employer identification numbers, and that type of thing. But Virtual Paralegal Services itself as a company contracts with other senior paralegals who also specialize in other areas such as securities, litigation, family law, bankruptcy, intellectual property, and real estate. So as a company, Virtual Paralegal Services provides senior level paralegal services to all lawyers, to lawyers in all various specialty areas. I know there's an increasing number of attorneys and paralegals who are interested in working virtually from home. So I'm wondering, Stephanie, uh, what personal traits do you think a person should possess to do that? Um, I think being self-motivated would be um, the most important trait, Uh, being able to prioritize responsibilities in order to meet deadlines, especially for for attorneys, that's going to be important, quality that they're going to look for. Understanding the importance of security and confidentiality involved in working with attorneys is key, and also knowing that the attorney's work, you know, has to be kept confidential to protect the attorney-client privilege and really understanding how important that is. I also think a strong knowledge and comfort level with different types of technology, or at least the ability to to quickly learn different software programs is, is important. Those all seem like very important traits, Stephanie. Now, Denise, would there be any other traits that you'd suggest? Uh, well, I absolutely agree with Stephanie. I mean, I, I just, other words came to mind, but it's exactly the same thing. You know, highly disciplined, self-starter, which I think, you know, self-motivated, same same thing. And definitely the, the being highly sufficient or self-sufficient with technology because you don't have, you know, a help desk, desk to call like you do in a law firm. You may have people that you can call, but it's not the same as the assistance that you or the support that you actually get from a law firm. So I completely agree with Stephanie. Thank you. Um, It's time to take a short break to hear a message from our sponsors. We'll be right back. Terrace is a full-service litigation support solution provider that works with law firms and Fortune 500 companies to provide consultation-based solutions, state-of-the-art technologies, and experienced project management. Terrace understands the unique demands and processes required during litigation. Our clients spend less time and money through all phases of case management. Discover how our streamlined suite of litigation support services can help you save time, increase accuracy, and drive savings. 
For more information, call 877-99-TERRACE or visit terrace.com. That's T-E-R-I-S. Imagine how much easier managing your practice would be if your practice management software was web-based. Your practice would be available anywhere you have an internet connection, completely secure, backed up continuously, and most importantly, easy to use, allowing you to spend your valuable time building your practice instead of managing technology. Start simplifying your practice today with Clio. Sign up for a free, fully functional 30-day trial at www.goclio.com. Use promotional code PV for a 25% discount. Welcome back to the Paralegal Voice. I'm Lynn Devaney, and with me is my co-host, Vicki Voison. One quick program note. We'd like to suggest that you subscribe to the Paralegal Voice. It's free, so the price is right. You can do that by either going to the Legal Talk Network at LegalTalkNetwork.com or subscribe to the program in the podcast directory of iTunes. That way you'll receive each new edition automatically with no searching and no delay. Our guests today are Stephanie Kimbrough of Kimbrough Legal Services and Denise Annunziata of Virtual Paralegal Services, Inc. We're discussing tips for working as a virtual legal assistant. Uh, Denise, what skills, experience, and educational background are essential to be successful as a paralegal in the virtual world? Well, for myself, I know that my bachelor's degree in legal studies and a paralegal certificate offer me a fundamental understanding of how the law works that I believe make me a better paralegal. So I would recommend a good paralegal education for all, for anyone considering being a paralegal. In addition, I would add that virtual paralegal services paralegals strive to be highly efficient and waste no client's time answering unnecessary questions. The only way that I think that this can be accomplished is that every VPS paralegal be an expert in the practice area in which they are supporting. You know, even when I worked in law firms, it was difficult to get lawyers to offer much training time. I remember my first seven years of being a paralegal, I learned how to get the job done, but I didn't necessarily understand why or how things fit together. But in the second seven years, I began to connect dots. And so, you know, I would say to my, you know, something, I'd start some project and I would think, you know, oh, okay, so this is, whenever we do this, then we usually do this and I'd fit these pieces together. And once I understood how to connect the dots, I could be more proactive when working with an attorney and making suggestions that perhaps he or she didn't consider. And when you're virtual, I think the real value added, um, service that you're providing to the lawyers is your education and the experience that you bring to the matter at hand. I think that the experience and education of each virtual paralegal services paralegal is the cornerstone of our success. So I would say experience and education are extremely important. So Denise, you're not recommending that new paralegal graduates that have never worked in a law firm or developed a certain level of expertise in a specialty area go out there and start working from home, are you? I you know, that's a really tricky question. It, you know, it just seems to me, and in all my years of being a paralegal, it seems to me that if we asked 100 lawyers, what is a paralegal, we'd get probably 95 different answers. You know, some lawyers bestow the title of paralegal onto their secretaries, you know, while other lawyers who've experienced working with highly trained seasoned paralegals know the difference between secretarial or administrative support and a true paralegal. So that said, I suppose an entry-level paralegal could provide virtual assistance to a lawyer as a secretary or an admin. 
But in my experience, to be truly a value-added paralegal, I believe that it takes someone who's worked in a law firm or corporations for many years to provide really good paralegal services virtually. Those experienced paralegals can demand a higher hourly rate and can bring much more to the virtual marketplace than a paralegal without the same experience. Thanks, Denise. That's a good point about the uh, billing rate. Stephanie, are there any other essential skills that you would suggest for a virtual paralegal? Um, I would I'd have to agree with Denise um, as far as having the benefit of having a specific education. I, I recently worked with a, a paralegal who had a background as working with patent attorneys, and she was working on the level of a you know a, an associate attorney, uh, pretty much with the specific knowledge that she had and the benefit to the you know the attorney of that is uh, is great. The other thing I'd probably recommend is just having a b- general business background. Mm-hmm. Even if it's not legal, just understanding um, how to help the attorney from a business standpoint, if they're especially if they're solo practitioners or small firm practitioners. And um, just another thing I would mention is that it would be good if they know when to ask questions of the attorneys, of their peers, of themselves. Um, there are a lot of great mentors out there, and I think that attributes to the success of anyone trying to you know, start their own virtual paralegal business. Stephanie, I know that this is a topic that could probably cover the next hour, but just sort of the quick, maybe top three or four, what uh, is the basic hardware, software that you'd recommend to start a virtual legal business from home? Starting out, you can go pretty basic until you understand um, what your client base is going to need. Um, I would check out, there's some great open source software options. Open Office Suite is compatible with Microsoft Office. I'd also recommend Glance.net. It's uh, great for remote desktop sharing. can be helpful um, if you're working with an attorney who needs to train you how to use their specific office system remotely. Denise, do you have anything um, to add? Um, I would add in, in our practice, it, it, I think one of the most valuable tools for me is Adobe PDF, um, Adobe Acrobat Professional, actually, because it has a typewriter feature on it, so you can actually type into the PDFs, and, and I, I use that all the time. You know, and in addition, another thing that I have, I happen to have, are two printers. And I can't even, that was sort of by accident as well, but I can't tell you how many times I am so grateful that I have two printers because something happens to one or just for various reasons. Right now, I, you know, only one of them is working. And um, and so I am just so glad that I kept the second printer. And, and the last thing is a high-speed scanner because everything is done electronically. And, and I used to have not a high-speed scanner, which obviously you know, slowed me down quite a bit. And now I have a really nice high-speed scanner, and I love that too. So I would just add those few things. Uh, Denise, I got to laugh. <laughs> I was just going to comment that everybody should have two printers, especially when their children have a term paper due the next day. <laughs> Good point. Absolutely. I'm wondering if either of you work with two monitors? I do. I, I work with a, um, well, I use a netbook as sort of a second monitor, and then I have my PC as well. And I will do one task on one while I work on the screen on the other. So it's like a dual monitor. Right, um, right. Do you, Denise? No, I, I, I don't. I'm, I'm now considering it. <laughs> no. But up until like now, this, no. It seems to be the thing to have now. I'm also wondering, and this question is actually for both of you, I want to know how you find your clients. Or, you know, maybe a better question is, how do your clients find you? Could you tell us, Stephanie? Um, my clients find me through my virtual office website, or now that I'm a little more built up on my practice, they'll find me through referrals. 
I don't do a lot of online marketing, um, but I do write a blog, and I'm pretty active on different listservs and forums within in my state. What about you, Denise? For me, it's exactly the same. We get a lot of clients through virtualparalegalservices.com, and the rest of our clients are referred by other clients that we have. I feel pretty fortunate to say I don't have to do a lot of marketing these days. I do do some just because I think you always should. It's the bloodline of, of a business, so you should do something. Uh, maybe send out a newsletter or um, or an online you know newsletter or something. But but I have to say that I don't feel pressured to do that because clients seem to come to us. That is a nice position to be in, Denise. I, like um, I said, I, I feel fortunate. <laughs> <laughs> Especially in this economy, it's, mm-hmm. a, it's a good place to be. I'm going to uh, direct this question to both of you again, but I'm going to start with Denise. Uh, do you guys work mostly on a project basis, or do you enter into more permanent working relationships, um, possibly with some kind of retainer or standing agreement? Well, our relationships are very permanent. Um, once a lawyer starts working with us, it's extremely unusual for he or she to discontinue working with us unless, of course, we're contracted for just one particular project, which can be, in the case of in-house legal departments, you know, just they just want us to you know, organize all their minute books and then we're done. You know, so it could be a one-time project in-house. But most lawyers, once they work with us, they continue to work with us. Um, but at the same time, we are project-based, so I don't ask for a retainer. Um, the VPS model is really to offer on-demand paralegal services. So aside from our clients entering a basic consulting agreement, which covers confidentiality, protection of their work product, and our compensation, there's no commitment required on the behalf of our clients. What about you, Stephanie? Do you tend to use your uh, virtual paralegals on more of a uh, project basis or uh, more of a long-term sort of staff basis? Project basis, but I foresee as my um, virtual law practice grows, continues to grow, that um, I'll most likely look at working with someone on a more regular basis. And I know there's a lot of paralegals out there that are very excited to hear that. Yeah. (laughs) Um, Will you be looking for someone mostly with a uh, business background? Um, Yes, um, or estate planning. But I I also work with um, my company, Virtual Law Office Technology. We set up other attorneys nationwide with virtual law offices. And so I'm talking with a lot of those attorneys who are also in a situation where, you know, their their virtual law offices are starting to take off. And so they're looking for, for virtual paralegals to work with them and to enter into those types of relationships. So um, from having worked with them, I can, I can tell you that it is something that is growing in need. And that, that's very exciting news. Now, Denise, since I do a lot of writing about ethics, and I also present ethics teleclasses and go into law firms and speak about ethics, obviously I'm really interested in that topic. So I'm wondering how you and the paralegals that work for you follow the ABA and the State Bar Ethics Rules regarding adequate attorney supervision, because supervision is really key to working as a paralegal. Foremost, to ensure that we never overstep our bounds, VPS does not offer paralegal services to the general public, because I I just think that's a slippery slope. So we draw a line right there that we're always working under an attorney. And then when we work with our attorneys, the VPS consulting agreement covers part of this requirement. In addition, because we're all highly experienced paralegals, we are very aware of the line between being a paralegal and offering legal advice. Although we may be sometimes and sometimes not in direct contact with a lawyer's client, we carefully follow the lead of the lawyer and copy the lawyer on every communication. 
So you make sure that the lawyers see the final work product and all of that, I'm assuming. Always. I mean, leads us through it. You know, so at every point, you know, you're checking in, every, depending on what the project might be. You know, so say, say we're forming a corporation, for instance. Well, most of the time, you know, our clients we've worked with over and over again. So take a particular client. Well, we're already using that lawyer's forms because after the first time we do a corporation for a lawyer, we, we just keep using their forms, the ones that we've come up with together or they've given us. However, we've developed this suite of, of forms. So they know what we're working with. And then, you know, we draft them, we give them to them. So they, they check every single thing. So whether at every turn. So whether in the end we deliver these documents to their client or they deliver the documents to the client, they've, we haven't moved forward at all without the lawyer saying, yep, you know, these are good, go ahead and do this. You know, these are good, go ahead and do that. Does that make sense? Oh, absolutely. That's that's a great policy. Yeah, it sounds like the same thing we do every day. We're just not face-to-face. Right. Exactly. Uh, Stephanie, I would like to talk just for a minute about maintaining confidentiality and non-disclosure, which are key. How do you make sure that information and documents are securely transmitted? Um, well, documents on my virtual office are transmitted back and forth within the virtual law office itself, um, which is a secure, uh, there's a secure portal for the attorney back in law office, um, and it's completely web-based, and the data is encrypted. Um, so the, um, the paralegal or any other um, attorney logs in using their own unique username and password. Um, email is, is, is unencrypted, and therefore it's not as secure. And at, at this point, the state bars are, are in agreement that email is safe for an attorney to use to transmit client data you know, to their paralegals, to their clients. Um, however, I foresee in the near future that, um, that this may be challenged since there are safer ways of communicating online that are now being made available. Um, so for now, I, I continue to transmit diet, you know, discussions and transmit documents through the secure um, DLO. Now, Denise, do you have your virtual staffers sign confidentiality agreements when they work with you? Yes. Um, every paralegal that we contract with is required to sign a consulting agreement, which contains confidentiality provisions and privacy protections, such as of our clients, privacy protections of our clients, such as the requirement to keep all documents containing Social Security numbers or other personal information on our company's server and not on their personal computers, and to shred all documents printed on behalf of VPS clients, that sort of thing. So between the consulting agreement and we also have a, um, a handbook that they need to follow certain procedures. Stephanie, do you use confidentiality agreements with your virtual staffers? Well, actually, the first virtual um, assistant that I hired um, as a solo practitioner had a contract ready for me to sign that covered confidentiality, discussed her duty to keep our communications and my law practice data confidential, um, So I thought that was a really great idea and perhaps, you know, a smart tip for any virtual paralegal starting out. You know, the attorneys are going to most likely have their own confidentiality agreements that they're going to want you to sign. Um, But wouldn't it really, you know, impress them if you started out with one right off the bat to let them know, you know, emphasize your professionalism and that you have an understanding of the profession? And um, I I thought that might be a good tip. Actually, if I can just add, in fact, we... I've yet to have a lawyer offer me the agreement. I mean, we have probably over 100 clients, and not one lawyer has ever said, here's my consulting agreement. We always give them ours. So I think you're absolutely right about that. I mean, they sometimes tweak what I give them, but very little, actually. But sometimes they'll tweak it, but I've never had someone say, here's the consulting agreement. They 
they usually love ours. I have one more question. What kind of equipment do you expect the people who work with you to have, Denise? Or do you provide equipment? Do you have a list that you make sure they follow? Um, actually, because all VPS paralegals are independent contractors, and we do require that they have their own home office, and they have to at least have you know, a pretty good computer. I mean, it has to be a business class, you know, very lots of memory, you know, very fast internet connection, all that sort of thing. They at least have to have a Microsoft Office Suite or something similar to that. Um, and Adobe Acrobat Professional is a must. All that said, we have a virtual workspace that our clients share and the paralegal share, and and some of that. So, say the Adobe Acrobat software is actually up on the on the workspace. So, if we contracted with a paralegal who didn't have that on his or her own computer, they would be able to access it on the workspace. But it's it's an absolute must. So they have to at least have a great, you know, a really good computer, really good printer really good scanner, um, you know, a decent home office, basically, and then uh, in a quick internet connection, and then anything else they can get on our workspace. Well, you guys, we have come to the end of this podcast, even though I have a million more questions, and I've been taking notes the whole time. Um, I'd like to thank Stephanie Kimbrough of Kimbrough Legal Services and Virtual Law Office Technology for joining us today. Thank you for having me. And thanks also to Denise Annunziato of Virtual Paralegal Services, for sharing your tips for virtual paralegals. Thanks, Vicki. It's been my pleasure, and, and thanks again for inviting me. If you have questions, please email them to theparalegalvoice at gmail.com. Vicki and I will be posting a joint article, Tips for Working as a Virtual Legal Assistant, at our respective blogs, theparalegalmentor.com and practicalparalegalism.com. We'll be sure to include helpful links to more information about this topic. We're going to take another short break. When we return, we'll have paralegal news and announcements for you, so don't go away. NALA means professional. NALA offers classroom and web-based continuing education and professional development for all paralegals. And NALA's certified paralegal credential has been a gold standard of professionalism for over 30 years. More than 15,000 paralegals have this certification, and nearly 2,000 have achieved the demanding advanced certified paralegal. NALA works actively with others in the legal field to promote the value of paralegals and to advance paralegal professionalism. See more about why NALA means professional at www.nala.org. Monitor live depositions from anywhere with West Live Note Real Time. Observe every hesitation every sidelong glance, and every drop of sweat from the deponent. You and other team members can privately instant message with the deposing attorney. You can act as second chair and annotate your live transcript. Look up facts and definitions, find conflicting testimony, and even offer suggestions for the line of questioning. All live. Come see us at ILTA for a private demo of West Live Note at Booths 501 and 503. For more information about West Live Note, call one 800 762 5272 or visit livenote.com. Welcome back to the wrap up of this edition of the Paralegal Voice. Okay, Lynn, I'm all about working smarter and being more productive, so I frequently offer tips to help paralegals be more organized. My tip for today will help paralegals meet crucial deadlines. The key is planning. 
note the deadline in your calendar or in your planner, and then determine the steps you have to take to finish your work by the deadline and just when those steps should be done. The dates for completing those steps go in your calendar or your planner. They're actually set up as appointments, and if you keep those appointments with yourself, and if you complete those steps at each appointment, your project will be done on time, guaranteed. Lynn, do you have a social media tip for our listeners? I do, because I can't stop talking about social media. Uh, Last podcast, you talked about the importance of setting up that essential LinkedIn profile. This time, we're going to talk about actually using it to connect. You should spend at least 10 to 15 minutes a week on LinkedIn working on your connections. Uh, I know a lot of paralegals tell me, but I don't know anybody. You do. Uh, Look for former employers, co-workers, neighbors, former teachers, other members of your community, maybe people you go to church with or uh, served on PTA uh, boards with. Also, uh, look towards paralegal groups, listservs, your Twitter buddies are always good LinkedIn connections. Um, Also, don't be afraid to send an invitation to someone whose work that you admire. I do that all the time. And believe me, um, people who write these articles for these legal publications are absolutely thrilled to hear from someone who says, I like what you wrote, good job, or I have a question. Um, They will almost always accept your LinkedIn invitation if you state the reason that you are sending it and don't come off like a crazed stalker. So that's my social media tip for this podcast. Uh, Spend 10 to 15 minutes a week developing your network. That's about all the time we have today for the Paralegal Voice. Don't forget to check out the show notes on our blogs, practicalparalegalism.com and theparalegalmentor.com. This is Vicki Voison. And this is Lynn DeVenny. Thanking all of you for joining us today and reminding you to make your Paralegal Voice heard. Thanks for listening to The Paralegal Voice with Linda Venny and Vicki Voison. This podcast is produced by the Legal Talk Network. Be sure to get the next edition of the podcast. Subscribe to the RSS feed on LegalTalkNetwork.com or in iTunes. The Lunch Hour Legal Marketing Podcast, your resource for the tips and tactical advice you need to grow your business. Plus, keep up with the news and commentary you crave to stay one step ahead. It's hosted by me, Gee Sakalakis. And me, Conrad Song. Every other week, we break down the issues holding back your marketing strategy and talk about the changes you need to be prepared for. Check out the Lunch Hour Legal Marketing Podcast wherever you get your podcasts or on YouTube.